Hello and welcome to this informative podcast on the identification and management of rosacea in primary care with dermatologist Dr. Leona Yip from Skin Partners in Brisbane. This podcast is delivered in collaboration with La Roche-Posay and CeraVe. Okay, thank you everyone for joining me tonight and thank you CeraVe and La Roche-Posay for organising this talk. This is one of my pet conditions that I love to treat medically with lasers and with cosmeceuticals. I'll just really briefly tell you about my practice so you know what I do. I see and treat everything, really. I treat children and adults. I do medical dermatology. I'm very procedural, do lots of surgery, lasers. I'm also an alopecia subspecialist. I trained in Melbourne and uh, completed my training 10 years ago. Since then, have been in private, private and public practice in uh, various states, Melbourne, Canberra, and uh, in Brisbane when we moved in 2019. So behind me here, you can actually see the Peter's Ice Cream Factory what used to be the Peter's Ice Cream Factory that I've moved our practice into a few weeks ago. So we're really lucky to be in this West Village brand new heritage cultural precinct in central Brisbane. I have to declare my affiliations and interests for this talk. I'll let you read through it because I don't like talking about myself. And for this talk specifically, I have received honorarium from La Roche-Posay and CeraVe, but the talk content and the opinions expressed are of my own. Now we'll get started firstly with rosacea pathogenesis. What causes rosacea? And this question, we know a lot about rosacea pathogenesis, but we still do not know everything about it. And it's been like that since I was training to be a dermatologist. But what we do know about rosacea is that they are pro-inflammatory cascades that lead to skin sensitivity, inflammation, and sebaceous gland hyperplasia. The predominant driver of this is innate immune system dysregulation leading to abnormal neurovascular and neurolymphatic signaling. In rosacea skin, we also know the skin microbiome is imbalanced. There is more Demodex folliculorum that causes more papillopustular rosacea. And in rosacea skin, there's an abnormal skin microbial response and leading to increased concentrations of an antimicrobial peptide called cathelicidins. Cathelicidins, therefore, has been a target molecule for cosmeceuticals to target to treat skin inflammation and redness. The other inherent issue in rosacea is skin barrier dysfunction, just like in eczema, and this leads to transepidermal water loss, leading to skin dryness, sensitivity, and inflammation. We know that genetics also play a role because more Caucasian individuals are affected by rosacea. Having said that, sometimes we do see Asians and darker skinned individuals affected also. There's a lot of speculation about the role of H. pylori and the gut microbiome in skin as well as in rosacea. But to date, the, the true causative effect of these factors have not been entirely proven. There is low level evidence for association, but it's definitely not standard discussion that I would have with my patients. And lots of patients come in asking about gut health and rosacea. And if it does come up in conversation, they ask me about probiotics. On a case-by-case -case basis, it may be appropriate, but probiotics is not standard treatment because we don't really know the role of H. pylori and the microbiome yet in this condition. Rosacea triggers are ubiquitous. The commonest triggers are reproducible. Commonly sun exposure, you get hot temperatures, cold, windy air pollution that can trigger skin dryness and irritation. Diet is also very important. 
hot foods and beverages like coffee and tea. It is the temperature of the beverage, which is the problem, not the caffeine. Capsaicin spices like chili, pepper, cinnamon dehyde containing foods like tomatoes, chocolate, cinnamon, as well as alcohol also flare redness and flushing in rosacea. Other activities that we often hear about, exercising, hot showers, emotions and stress. Trigger avoidance is therefore paramount for rosacea control because if we control these triggers, we can also control these downstream pro-inflammatory effects on the skin. Next, I wanna to talk to you about sensitive skin. This is not something that we get taught about at all in medical school. And this is something that we don't get taught about a lot in conferences either, but in rosacea, sensitive skin is an inherent problem. It is characteristic of this condition. So treating sensitive skin is part and parcel of rosacea management. The skin gets sensitive because there is a tendency to skin barrier dysfunction from deficiency or loss of natural skin lipids. So the skin barrier is the stratum corneum, the top layer of the skin that traps moisture within the skin. And within the stratum corneum, there are skin lipids and proteins that glue the keratinocytes together to maintain and trap water, just like in this uh, graphic here. So it prevents water loss and it keeps irritants, bacteria, dry and cold air out. In rosacea skin, just like in eczema, the skin barrier does not work properly. And in addition, there are pro-inflammatory cytokines that aggravate more inflammation. So for most rosacea patients, they would come in and they'll complain to you that they cannot tolerate lots of skincare products. Their skin's overreactive. They can't use any moisturizers. They can't use any sunscreens, which are problematic because they need these cosmeceuticals to repair their skin. The skin can also be more sensitive over time. Skin sensitivity, which worsens over time, is termed sensitized skin. The skin can be more sensitized if they're already prone to sensitivity, like with rosacea. So things like irritants with soaps, hot water, alcoholic toners can cause more skin uh, sensitization. But the commonest causes that I would see in my practice for skin sensitivity, which worsens over time, is the use of anti-aging and acne skincare actives. And this is not something that they would volunteer to you. This is something that they will sit there and you ask them, what are you using on your skin? And they go, nothing, nothing. And they, they, they go on and on. And then if you don't specifically ask them, are you using glycolic acids, AHAs? Are you using retinoids, antioxidants? They don't necessarily suspect that as a trigger for the skin sensitivity. If there's coexisting acne and periorificial dermatitis, which are common problems that can coexist with rosacea, this can also aggravate skin sensitivity because these conditions also can have a skin barrier defect. So what do we advise our patients about skincare if they have rosacea? So firstly, a minimalist routine is important. Keep it really simple, keep it consistent. The bare minimum that they would need is a cleanser, a moisturizer and sunscreen for sensitive skin. Everything else is optional. If they choose to use anti-aging or acne product actives, they have to introduce this with caution really slowly and ensure it does not impair their skin barrier. It's also important to tell your patients to use hypoallergenic, fragrance-free and non-comedogenic products. Non-comedogenic just means it doesn't clog skin pores. And I wanna to talk to you really briefly about fragrance-free. Whether or not it's natural fragrances or synthetic fragrances, lots of products out there are labeled fragrance-free, but when you read the sub-label, it says no synthetic fragrance. That's not good enough. Natural fragrances with plant extracts, essential oils, 
they also are highly allergenic to the skin. Any fragrance should be avoided, especially in rosacea skin. Now, when recommending or considering skincare for your patients, it's not just the active ingredients which are important. It's also really important to consider brand reputation because with that comes the quality of their scientific research behind their products. Product formulation is also really important. They may have the active ingredients, but if it's not formulated properly, it may not work. You can open the bottle and it's oxidized. It's not going to have any effect. Packaging innovation is also important because that reduces the need for preservatives that commonly can also sensitize the skin. And one important thing to say to patients, now these days, lots of people come in and they want to use natural organic skincare products. But guess what? Natural skincare is a marketing term. There's no such thing as natural skincare products. From a medical point of view, from a TGA point of view, there is no standard regulation to define natural skincare. So please let your patients know that. They're better off using skincare that's manufactured because we know the ingredients that are in there, we know what goes into it and how it works. So the message for this slide is avoid fragrances, avoid natural as much as possible. I believe that cosmeceutical skincare is the foundation of skin repair in rosacea. Medical treatments alone is not enough to address the skin sensitivity and skin barrier function. There are four main classes of uh, cosmeceuticals to recommend for rosacea skin. The first is moisturizers, because moisturizers help to restore skin barrier integrity and therefore skin hydration and helps to reduce skin sensitivity. Moisturizers can also help to absorb product actives and our prescription treatments. And lastly, it helps to reduce skin irritation from treatments that often sting, like retinoids and antioxidants. The second group of cosmeceuticals would be anti-inflammatory serums and creams. If you're wondering about the ingredients, this is in my next slide. So with anti-inflammatory serums, these are important to help address symptoms like redness, burning, papus, and pustules. And then the antioxidants that can help reduce oxidative stress because in rosacea, the skin's in a chronic state of active inflammation. So reactive oxygen species are released, causing more stress to the skin. And lastly, sunscreens, of course. Sunscreens are important for rosacea for two main reasons. The first is it reduces the flares, as I've mentioned before, because sun exposure is a ubiquitous trigger for rosacea. The treatments that we prescribe, like doxycycline and retinoids, can also increase sun sensitivity potential. So asking them to protect from the sun is important. Now I'll introduce these ingredients. Some of you may already know what these are. For moisturizers that repair skin barrier function and for hydration, glycerin is fantastic as a humectant to trap water and moisture within the skin. Uh, natural lipids like ceramides, squalene, can help repair skin barrier function. Niacinamide, which is vitamin B3, can also do that, as well as pentanol, which is pro-vitamin B5. Anti-inflammatory ingredients, niacinamide is great and tolerated by all skin types. Amphenol, which is good because that helps to reduce catholicidin expression and bisabolol to help reduce redness. Vitamin C, vitamin E antioxidants are great, but be cautious when asking patients to use antioxidants because in high concentrations, vitamin C can be irritating to the skin. And sunscreen, SPF 50 plus. The Cancer Council still recommends SPF 30 plus. SPF, which is sun protection factor, is a measure of UVB protection. 
there is no objective measure of UVA protection. And so the only way we know that we are getting relatively more UVA protection is with a higher SPF sunscreen, hence SPF 50 instead of SPF 30. For rosacea patients, physical or chemical sunscreens are equally good. Some with really sensitive skin may not be able to tolerate chemical sunscreens, in which case physical sunscreens with titanium dioxide or zinc oxide would be better for them. Now, remember also that sunscreens is only one arm of sun protection, and it has to be used in conjunction with their hands, staying in shade, sunglasses and their clothing. And for those who want to camouflage their redness, green color tinted makeup or powdered foundation is actually really good because it helps neutralize the red. And obviously CeraVe and La Roche-Posay are my go-to brands for sensitive skin and rosacea, but there are also other very good brands out there like Avene, Cetaphil. Uh, I also really like SkinCeuticals, Bioderma, also fantastic. Now we go into the more medical aspects of rosacea. The four main types of rosacea subtypes are erythematous telangiectatic rosacea, and this is where you see background diffuse redness, as well as telangiectatic mats, dilated capillaries. This is papillopustular rosacea, ocular rosacea, and rhinophyma. I'd first like to talk to you about papillopustular rosacea. One of these photos is acne vulgaris. One of them is papillopustular rosacea, and the other is perioral dermatitis. If this was a live audience, I always usually like to get a raise of hands to know what everyone thinks, but because I can't do that, I'm just gonna to have to give you the answer. So this first one here is acne vulgaris. Why? Because it's polymorphic. Acne vulgaris tends to have papus, pustules, a mixture of nodules, and it always invariably has comedones. That's how you tell the difference between that and perioral dermatitis or rosacea. And it can affect anywhere in the face, but mainly the forehead, the cheeks, and the jawline. Greasy skin is common. If you're not sure, is it acne vulgaris? Always look at the trunk because truncal acne affects 50% of patients with facial acne. This one here is perioral dermatitis. Perioral dermatitis is monomorphic, boring looking, it almost looks quite similar. Nothing really stands out. There are papus, pustules, there are no comedones, and there are no nodules. And very commonly, they would complain of stinging skin. And sometimes they come in. There may not be any acneiform lesions that are visible, but they complain of that stinging and burning. And there's this red rash that looks irritated around the nasal crease in the nasal label fold and just under the nasal ala. And that's quite typical of perioral dermatitis. This one here is papillopustular rosacea, also monomorphic, papules, pustules, but brighter red. They, they have this persistent red background with telangiectasia as well. Again, no comedones, no nodules. Ask them about eye symptoms if you're not sure, because it affects more than 50% of them. They get these gritty, sensitive, cheery, watery eyes. This is steroid rosacea. This was actually one of my patients. Usually they start off with someone giving them a, a cortisone to use because they've got mild eczema or mild something. Nobody knows what it is. Use it for a few days. They end up using it for weeks and weeks and it becomes a vicious cycle. This is why we want to avoid using topical steroids on the face. And if you don't know what we're treating, it's best not to just give them a prescription for a topical steroid because this is what can happen. 
they either get steroid rosacea or they get perioral dermatitis. And how do you treat someone like that? This is a severe case of steroid rosacea. So if we stop them cold turkey, they can get a flare, which can be uncomfortable. So like in this patient, I would wean her off the topical steroid over one week and introduce an anti-inflammatory antibiotic. Usually doxycycline or minocycline, 50 milligram BD for about two to three months and always review them. I also want to briefly mention topical pimicrolimus, which is Elidel. Many people like to prescribe Elidel in primary care for perioral dermatitis and steroid rosacea, but this is not great treatment. It is not standard treatment, and it can also flare steroid rosacea and perioral dermatitis. So it's best avoided. If you have to treat steroid rosacea, oral antibiotics would be the way to go, ideally. How do you treat papillopustular rosacea in primary care? If it's mild to moderate, you could use topical therapies. And we all know these. There's metronidazole, which is rosex. There's ivermectin, which is cilantro. Isolic acid, finacea. And clindamycin, which is clindatec. Personally, I don't find metronidazole and isolic acid useful for papillopustular rosacea. But I do find that topical ivermectin is useful and it works well. Patients also really like it, and there's quite low risk of skin irritation. If the patient needs oral therapy, I would suggest using minocycline or doxycycline 50 milligram BD, and you would treat for three to six months. Having said that, personally for myself, I try to avoid doxycycline because I do find that the risk of acute photosensitivity on doxycycline is actually quite common, and it is higher than what I would see in patients on isotretinoin who would also get photosensitivity. You could use erythromycin. Now, unfortunately, erythromycin ethyl succinate has been taken off PBS. It's not even in MINS anymore. You can't find it, which is a shame because it works well, the 400 milligram twice a day for three to six months. Now, these days you can get it under PBS, but only 250 milligram BD, which I find only offers partial response. And I would ring PBS, get an authority and give them 500 milligram BD, which works a lot better. When would you refer your patient to a dermatologist? If you have to treat the patient with these treatments for more than three to six months and you still cannot control their papules and their pustules, please consider referring them for antibiotic sparing therapy. We really want to avoid long-term antibiotic use to prevent issues with resistance and uh, they also get really reliant on antibiotics and then no one follows them up after a few years, they hop to different GPs and they just have antibiotics for years and years until someone says, hey, what's going on here? So isotretinoin is a great treatment for persistent or extensive papillopustular rosacea, unresponsive to conventional primary care treatments after three to six months. Maximum I would recommend is 12 months. We try not to exceed antibiotic therapy for acne or for rosacea for more than that. If they have centrofacial erythema or dilated capillaries, which is erythematotelangiectatic rosacea, please send them on early to consider vascular laser because vascular laser treatment is done over a series of few treatments over a few months. Please also consider sending them across to us if there's persistent sensitive skin or they're intolerant to many products, they cannot establish a good skincare routine and they cannot tolerate any moisturizers, skincare, or any topical treatments you try to prescribe. And regardless of whether their rosacea is mild or severe, if they're distressed and it affects them enough, they cannot do public speaking, they, they're too embarrassed to form relationships, 
think about referring them on. So it's important to read their cues, their facial cues and what they're telling you, because sometimes when they come in, the rosacea looks really mild, but it's not reflective of what usually happens in their daily lives because rosacea by nature waxes and wanes. Very brief mention about isotretinoin. We use this a lot, gold standard treatment for acne vulgaris, which is severe or persistent. It's also very effective for persistent or extensive papillopustular rosacea. Often the course of treatment is about six to 12 months, a bit shorter than what we would use for annual vulgaris, but due to the relapsing nature of rosacea, repeated courses are usually needed into the future. And in Australia, isotretinoin prescribing is limited to dermatologists by law because a retinoid warrant is required. So if you feel someone needs it, please think about referring them on early. And uh, before you refer them, it's really good to discuss hormonal contraception with your female patients who are sexually active because this medication has high risk of teratogenicity. If you could organize blood tests, a pregnancy test, lipids, liver functions, that's often really helpful. So we can start treatment right away, but really it's not the end of the world if you can't do that. And it's also incredibly helpful if you could prepare your patient for that discussion with us, because often when they come in, they already have an idea about what may be discussed. They're more open to that um, discussion about uh, treatment or they come in and they think, oh my God, this is a really strong drug. I don't really want to talk about that at all. So this was my patient before isotretinoin and 12 months on, she's completely clear. But of course, because isotretinoin and antibiotic therapy would not treat facial erythema or telangiectasia, she ended up having laser for this. And next we go to erythematoid telangiectatic rosacea or ETR for short. This presents with bright red erythema and telangiectatic bats and flushing. Commonly, they flush and the intensity waxes and wanes with their triggers. It tends to spare the periorbital skin and it commonly affects the nasal labial folds. And often you see the first place that they get these telangiectasia mats are in the nasal labial fold, in the crease here, and it also affects the chin and eventually the cheeks. For fair skin patients, especially the females, very often they would also get this diffuse bright red erythema on their neck and the chest. A very brief mention about topical brimonidine, which is Mavaso. We do not recommend this for regular use anymore because if they use that every day and they miss a few days or they, they decide to stop, there's high risk of rebound erythema. So this treatment is really only used for episodic um, need to control redness, it basically constricts for up to 12 hours. Like if they're going for an important event or public speaking or photography, for example. And remember that rosacea often coexists with other conditions. So it's important to also consider coexisting other causes of facial redness. The top rosacea mimics, I've chosen four because these really are the, the top four that I would see in practice. Actinic erythema, Celtic erythema, often they would also have telangiectasia. They have sunspots, actinic keratosis, they've got lantigenes and solar dyschromia, which is that reddish brown discoloration from photo damage. This is also another very common one that commonly gets confused with rosacea. Keratosis pilaris rubrofacia is a variation of the usual keratosis pilaris you would see on the outer arms where they get quite rough what we call chicken skin not a very nice term but if it affects the face the erythema is diffuse usually with no telangiectasia but they do have these keratotic papules on the cheeks that can also affect the eyebrows similarly 
and some of them would get eyebrow loss laterally. And then seborrheic dermatitis. Most of us would know how to diagnose seborrheic dermatitis. Yellow greasy cross erythema in the T-zone of the face. And it always affects the nasal labial folds. Check their scalp and their beard for clues. Lastly, this is a malar rash of lupus, SLE or DLE. It always spares the nasal labial folds. So this would be my top quick tips about how you could tell a difference in a 15-minute consult. But sometimes it's not that straightforward. I'm going to briefly talk to you about vascular laser for rosacea because you will get lots of patients asking you about this. What's the difference? Should I go to a dermatologist? Should I go to the shopping center laser clinic? So it's important for you to be able to give them a little bit of informed consent as well. Vascular laser is gold standard therapy for rosacea. It is the most and the only effective treatment. For those with telangiectasia, if it's quite localized telangiectasia, like here in the nasal crease, one to two treatments, enough, great response. If it's telangiectatic netting that is more extensive, they would need at least four to five or six treatments. If we're treating diffuse redness, like in this lady here, or there's flushing, or we're treating redness of papillopustular rosacea in conjunction with antibiotics, they will need at least three to four treatments or even up to six. And they always need maintenance therapy moving forward because it will recur with time. It's important to also understand and let patients know whether or not laser treatment is effective, is operator and platform dependent. It does make a difference if they're having vascular laser therapy with a doctor, for example, at a dermatology practice or at a shopping center laser clinic. In a medical practice, like in my dermatology practice, we have class four medical grade lasers. The platforms are more powerful and therefore we can use better settings and less treatments to get good results. In a shopping center laser clinic, they're usually not medical grade lasers and it may be less powerful. So therefore patients end up needing more treatments to achieve an outcome that may not match a medical grade laser. Platform, so IPL therapy, intense pulse light. IPL is not a laser. IPL is a light source, but it can work really well for diffuse redness, not so good for erythema, sorry, for telangiectasia and for flushing. So some centers would offer IPL therapies or laser, but laser still is gold standard for uh, rosacea because it works better than IPL, especially for telangiectasia. LED light, there are many beauticians who have it. Again, shopping center laser clinics, patients love it because it's cheap and it's easily accessible, but at best, LED light therapy would offer transient anti-inflammatory effects only for those with skin inflammation and sensitivity, um, a bit of redness from their papillopustular rosacea, but it's not effective for telangiectasia or for flushing. With vascular laser, the aim of treatment is to reduce the intensity of erythema. The erythema does not completely resolve. And that's an important thing, managing the expectation of treatment with the patient. And it tends to recur. So when we start out treating them, there are multiple treatments, a series of about uh, I would say four treatments to begin with, or maybe the fifth of the sixth may be needed depending on severity. And it's done every month, a month apart. And then they would need one to two yearly maintenance. Medicare rebates are available for eligible patients. Not all patients with rosacea would be eligible for a Medicare rebate for vascular laser. This is at the discretion of the treating doctor if the patient fulfills the Medicare criteria. 
It can be performed any time of the year. So it's not true that lasers can only be done in winter. As long as they're good with their sun protection that week before and that week after treatment, we can do it any time of the year. Uh, it is expected that after laser, they do get a downtime of a few days. They get more redness, swelling, bruising, and a bit of urticaria. And in primary care, the most important thing to say to patients is to choose their laser operator wisely. It's not just about knowing how to do the laser or that there's a machine and they can do laser. It's if there are complications, would that operator know how to manage it? Just like for surgery, there are risks and complications. Same thing with laser therapy. Laser is safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding. Be very careful when uh, talking to darker skin patients or uh, if they say to you they're getting lasers done at the shopping center clinic, tell them it is not safe. It is contraindicated because they're high risk of post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation and scarring. Now, obviously this is not rosacea of the legs, but this is just to illustrate to you, darker skin patients who are really prone to scarring and post-inflammatory changes with laser. So just very briefly, just so you know what happens in laser therapy, we select the appropriate wavelength and we also uh, are trained to select proper parameters to suit the level, the depth and the size of the vessel. And we pulse the vessel and it either completely disappears in front of our eyes or it gets sealed off. It turns to this bluish gray color, it, it coagulates and the immune system absorbs it in the next week and a half or two. So very satisfying to treat. Now I'll go on to talk about the other variants of rosacea. Ocular rosacea affects about 50 to 70% of uh, patients. They often present with sensitive gritty eyes, their blepharitis, styes, chalazion, and it's teary. And again, it's not something they would volunteer to you because they don't make that connection. So it's important for us to question them about eye symptoms. Eye drops are important and uh, doxycycline conventionally is recommended for a few months, but I haven't found this to be very useful myself, I have to say. I tend to refer on to an ophthalmologist because they can manage their styes and chalazion and blepharitis. And also I've had a few patients who have been really happy with ocular IPL therapy to treat their teary eyes. Rhinophyma, sebaceous gland hyperplasia, like in this man here, Almost always, if it's severe, they will require isotretinoin when ablative laser resurfacing. I find that the role of topical retinoids uh, is quite limited, but it is reasonable to commence them on topical retinoids in primary care whilst waiting for them to be seen by a dermatologist. If it is severe, we also have to question them about nostril narrowing and breathing issues and refer them on um, more quickly. This is Morbihan disease, which is a rare variant of rosacea. It presents with persistent centrofacial edema and it can be quite disabling and uncomfortable for the patient. And it responds well usually to high dose isotretinoin and daily facial massage. I just want to draw your attention to what we would call a dermatologic emergency. I know there are no real emergencies in dermatology, but this would be one of those. This condition, pyoderma faciale or rosacea fulminans. It looks a lot like rosacea, but they are nodules. They're papules, it's painful. There's this red cyanotic erythema, and it tends to affect young adult women without prior history of rosacea. 
And untreated, they become uncomfortable and there's very high risk of scarring. So if you think someone has got pyoderma facialis, please pick up the phone and, and talk to you, your, the dermatologist that you would usually refer to and get them seen urgently because these patients often would need a combination of prednisolone, antibiotics and isotretinoin therapy. How do we treat rosacea in pregnancy? Just a really brief slide, because this is something that I see a lot of. And as we all know, there are not many treatments that are safe in pregnancy. So cosmeceutical skincare without retinoids are safe. When we treat erythematotelangiectatic, sorry, telangiectatic rosacea, I can't speak properly now, laser therapy is safe. And so are light-based treatments like IPL and LED light. When we're treating papillopustular rosacea, this is the more tricky bit because it requires medical therapy. If it's mild to moderate, usually we would use azelaic acid or metronidazole or clindamycin, which is category B. If it's more severe, we're a little bit stuck because we can only use oral erythromycin, which currently TGA classifies as a category A. However, as a lot of you would know, last year in the BMJ was published this large study that macrolide antibiotics prescribed during pregnancy, especially in the first trimester, was associated with high risk of fetal malformations, especially cardiovascular malformations. This is something that I would always discuss with my patients now and just balancing the benefits and the risks. I would still prescribe oral erythromycin if I need to, don't get me wrong, but this needs to be discussed with the patients because if we cannot use oral antibiotic therapy or if they prefer not to, we could use topical treatments combined with light-based therapies or laser treatments to help them. So this is the last slide. I've just um, put a few, my rules of rosacea treatment here. Firstly, trigger avoidance is paramount for rosacea control. And cosmeceutical skincare is fundamental if we were to treat rosacea successfully. We also need to stratify rosacea subtypes because for each of these subtypes, different treatments are usually needed. We need to stop and avoid topical steroids in rosacea. And remember that recurrences are common. So we're aiming for control, not for a cure. Uh, rosacea, because it waxes and wanes, the severity is not always what we think it is when we see the patient. So always ask about how it's affecting the patient because it's, it, the distress and quality of life effects are not proportionate to what we would see physically as their severity. And if you cannot achieve good control after three to six months, please think about referring them on to a dermatologist because often we would recommend combination treatments. Thank you for joining us. We have included some useful resources such as a downloadable PowerPoint for you to utilize in conjunction with this podcast. So please visit www.healthcert.com and click on the blog link to download your copy.